Welcome to So Unbecoming, a podcast for military spouses in the process of unbecoming one version of themselves in favor of another, looking to rejoin the workforce after time spent away supporting their families, the military, and its mission. We'll hear the unfiltered stories of spouses who have made or are making their way through the hiring and employment processes and hear from experts on a variety of job search and professional skills topics. I'm Jamie Muskoff, and I'm a Navy spouse who recently re-entered the workforce after a nearly six-year career gap, and I'm a student in the Doctor of Social Work program at the University of Southern California, Suzanne Dvorak Peck, School of Social Work. My mission is to advocate for all military spouses, to examine the complex culture and issues around male spouse employment, and to explore how people and organizations can work together to create better opportunities for military families who choose to pursue dual careers during active duty life. I'm so happy you're here. I'm incredibly grateful for your time. Let's get started. Welcome to this special Snowmageddon early release episode of So Unbecoming. It's still snowing here in the Pacific Northwest. Everything shut down or postponed. It's been pretty wild. But the real reason for my putting this episode out today, Monday instead of Tuesday, is that it's a conversation with my coworker and my nominee for Armed Forces Insurance Military Spouse of the Year, Molly Parsons. Molly is the program manager for Microsoft's Military Spouse Technology Academy. She's been a heavily involved Army spouse, maintained a career for much of her husband's active duty career, and she's an outstanding advocate for military spouses everywhere. I've been nothing short of impressed by her tenacity, her drive, and her genuine care and passion for serving the military spouse community. Let's learn more now in my conversation with program manager and MSOI nominee, Molly Parsons. Thanks for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. Can you tell us where you're from originally and where you're living now and how long you've been a military spouse? Absolutely. So I'm born and raised in Georgia. Uh, I'm from a very small town just below Savannah. Um, We're stationed out here at JBLM in Washington State now. We've been out here for quite a long time considering. Uh, Most military families move around a lot. We did in the beginning. But we've been here in Washington State for eight years going on nine. Um, I met my husband. Yeah, (laughs) it never happens. But, you know, that's what happens when the military hears you want to move. Um, But I met my husband uh, about 15 years ago uh, when I was in college in Savannah and he was stationed down there at Hunter, Hunter Army Airfield. Uh, we've been married for 13 years um, and we've only moved, let's see, we did one place in Georgia to another, then North Carolina, then out here to JBLM. Wow. So tell me a little bit about your educational background and your career path and what did that look like before you were married and then how has that looked since you became a military spouse? Absolutely. One of the fun things about being a military spouse is that although there's a lot of times the military kind of dashes your long-term plans, Uh, For me, when I look back over my career, there's a lot of things that are so much better than I could have imagined for myself before joining Mm -hmm. joining my husband. So Mm -hmm. my original plan, um, and this goes back way back, was to be a high school teacher. Um, I was Mm -hmm. the only club I was in was the future Georgia educators like that was just what I was going to do. I was going to graduate, be a teacher. yeah, it was a great plan. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, sounds good. So I, I got my undergraduate degree in history um, there in Savannah from Armstrong, uh, which is a great school for, for history degrees, mm-hmm. if you stay in the South, which I did not. Um, so <laughs> that was the, the not just the plan, but that was the easy plan, too. Um, and I have a feeling if I hadn't met my husband, I would still be 
either still in that same small town or one nearby teaching being right around the corner from my family and kind of the, mm-hmm. the way things Southerners <laughs> do. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. And, and it's not a bad thing at all. It's just I had never even considered the possibility of what my life would bring me to now. So mm-hmm. I did meet him during my undergrad. Um, we got married, gosh, three days after I graduated. Wow. Yeah. Three days later. Um, we had <laughs> two daughters, um, very young, like right off the bat. That's, that's what we mm-hmm. did. Um, and it was at that moment that I realized that, okay, well, uh, we got our first orders t- out of state and I was teaching high school at the time. I'd only been teaching for about a year and a half. And I realized at that point that, okay, this is not going to work out for a move. Um, mm-hmm. the way Georgia licensure goes for teachers, I was only, I had just entered the program to get my full certifications and that sort of thing. So all of the planning and all of the things I'd been doing that worked for Georgia were immediately not going to work for North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So at that point, um, in my, gosh, 22-year-old mind, I made the brilliant decision to go ahead and start a master's program. Mm-hmm. Um, I can honestly say I don't regret it now. I do regret the order that I did things. Um, I started a, a master's degree in business through Burnett University, um, I finished up uh, right on time in two years, which is great, but I had a lot of great education and zero experience. So I found Mm. myself in a trap that I feel many military spouses find themselves in where I'm overeducated and underexperienced to be able to go Mm -hmm. after the kind of jobs that I really wanted at the time. So, but yeah. And and I feel like this is one thing that a lot of people do um, due to passion maybe, or due to opportunity. If, if we're somewhere where there's not maybe a lot of great job opportunities, you look for, okay, what can I do with my time here? Um, and that's exactly what I did when, when we were stationed in North Carolina, we knew we were only going to be there a year and a half. And I was like, Hey, I can, I can do this degree and you know, it won't be a waste of my time while we're stationed here. Mm-hmm. Um, I did fall into a, a job while I was there. Um, the only professional experience I had was as a high school teacher and this is going to date me a little bit, but I responded to an ad in the newspaper for a, <laughs> right? <laughs> Who's done that? A what? <laughs> uh, yeah, for a data analyst. And the job uh, description was just strange enough that I wasn't quite sure what the job really was. Um, but there was so hmm. little opportunity where we were stationed at the moment that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to email this and see what happens. Um, and I'll save you from that whole story, but I ended up being the very first data analyst data analyst that a small marketing company in North Carolina ever took on. Wow. So I know it was, it was a great job. It was really interesting. Um, I loved my bosses and it was a lot of skills that I didn't even know I had until I got into this job, um, Mm -hmm. which I was completely unqualified for in every way, (laughs) but I I landed (laughs) there anyway. And I learned so much about myself that um, I feel all these things that we talk about, you know, kind of fake it till you make it kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I just got in there and I was curious, you know, what is it that they're asking me to do? How can I find this information and how can I best share it with the people who need it? Um, And Mm -hmm. it turned out to be a nine year career for me. That's amazing. I'm going to make you go back a little bit and say, explain a little bit why. So if you thought that you weren't qualified for the job, what is it about you that you think ultimately sold them to be like, you know what, we're going to give her a chance on this? Well, first and foremost was that when I emailed in about the job, just, hi, I'm really interested in this. Could you send a, you know, a longer job description or can I learn more about the position? 
And before even giving me any kind of human response, they sent me what was clearly a template email that, hey, here's mm-hmm. some data attached to this in an Excel spreadsheet. Create a little report based off of it, and that's like your first trial run before we'll grant interviews. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, this is really crazy and odd. And I pulled it up. It was a simple data set. And luckily, you know, I did have the Excel skills at that point to at least, you know, pull out some charts. Um, And I just kind of made it up. I was like, well, I don't really have any information about this data set. It was listed as like agent one through 13 and then random rows with numbers in it. And I was Hmm. like, let's just assume that these are people working for you, which I'm sure they are. Um, You know, this person (laughs) is clearly doing better in these areas. This person isn't. I'm not sure what these areas are. But this is what I'm assuming about this data. Um, and I, I just completely made it up. Um, and, and, you know, don't get me wrong, based on the numbers, but I, I didn't know, you know, what numbers I was looking at. turns out I was looking at numbers for people in a call center, answering calls and customer service requests, um, but didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. But I think what really did it for me is when I got on the phone, um, I was. I was just curious. What is this company? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Um, you know, this was a really interesting project, and at least I had fun with it. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. what came through and led to a very long, I believe my first interview was two and a half hours over the phone. Um, I just got along with the owners and um, showed them my curiosity. And, that, you know, you can train people for just about anything in the world if you've got the right person. So I think that's yeah. what came through in that interview is show them you're the right person and they're willing to train you on things. Yeah. So nine years at the same company, that's like unheard of, I think, Mm -hmm. as a military spouse, although I've had one military spouse on the podcast so far that worked for the same employer for 14 years, which I think is amazing. So what what were some of the things that allowed you to stay in that company for so long? Um, And, you know, so what would you attribute that that length of or that ability (laughs) to in terms of length? The the two biggest success for successes for me while working there. Um, so I did work for them while we were stationed in North Carolina. Um, I was mm-hmm. only in the building for a little bit over a year before we got PCS orders. The rest mm-hmm. of that time was telecommuting. Um, so the the first big success I had with that company was the ability and the willingness to jump into whatever we needed at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. It was a small company, but growing. I think at the height, there was 35, 40 employees. Um, so there's always a new challenge and a new something that comes in, in periods of growth. And I was always willing to take on something else if, if we needed it. Um, you and I both know that it takes time to get the right person into a new position. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of times that someone's going to wear multiple hats until that position is filled. And I was always willing to do it. So I got mm-hmm. to grow a lot, learn a lot, cross-train in a lot of different areas. And I proved my value early um, mm-hmm. in the position. And then secondly is I had a great leadership team above me. Um, I was able to Mm -hmm. say, hey, I have the time and the ability to do that thing and it will save you money from hiring somebody else. So I'll take it on. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about my pay. And that's Mm -hmm. how we did it. Every couple of months or every year, something new would happen. I would take it on and I would increase my pay. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was a formula that worked uh, because it also meant that if something came up that I wasn't able to do, uh, it was mm-hmm. easy for me to say, no, we need to hire somebody else. I, I don't have time for that <laughs> um, and prioritize yeah. for myself that way. Yeah. And, you know, so um, you worked from home or mm-hmm. out of your home or not at, at the business that you're working at. What kind of things did you have to have in place in order to do that? Well, first, let me round out the story to say that first when we got PCS orders, um, I did mm-hmm. ask, I said, hey, you know, we're moving. 
I would love to continue to do my job. Uh, both of the owners at the time did work from home, but they worked from home a mile and a half away, not mm-hmm. you know long distance commuting. Um, sure. And I made the ask. I was like, I can do this remotely. Um, I love the, this job. I love working for you. Can we make this work? And at first their answer was no. Um, mm. And it was a little bit gut-wrenching. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, so mm-hmm. I found and trained my replacement before I left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a big part of this was the willingness to do that and depart on good terms. Um, mm-hmm. And it was disappointing for sure. But I was like, hey, you know, now I've, you know, I'm almost done with my degree. I've got some experience. Maybe, you know, this is the bridge I needed to get to the next. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, we moved to Washington State. And within just a few months, they called me replacement's not working. <laughs> Nobody's as wonderful as you. Uh, will you please, you know, telework for us? So uh, making it through those, those months, you know, being out, out in a new place, trying to find a new job, not having a network, um, you mm-hmm. know, the only callbacks I was getting were, were for sales positions. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just not good at that. <laughs> so it was yeah. one of those, uh, you know, a really hard time period for me, but by leaving my job on a good note and doing everything I could, even with a disappointing answer, um, it led to a telework position that, that lasted a very long mm-hmm. time. Okay. So, um, but once I was working from home, um, depending on the job, but from, from my job where I was literally running reports, running meetings, managing managers, um, it's not mm-hmm. the kind of job where you can, work from home, go get groceries when you feel like it, have, you know, things going, mm-hmm. running around in the background. No, I had to work full time from home as if I was in the office. Mm-hmm. So for me right away, that meant, okay, I'm still going to need childcare. This, you know, mm-hmm. my hours are flexible and I have control of my schedule, but um, I mm-hmm. do not have, you know, the kind of flexibility that it can allow for my kids and my dog to just run around while I'm working. Sure. So yeah. Cause a, you had pretty young, young kids at that time. Little Three kids. and five. Yep. Yeah, little. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of the biggest stressors was that in Washington, my oldest was in kindergarten, which was full time. Uh, mm-hmm. And when we moved out to Washington, it was only two hours a day, like every other day. <laughs> so I went from oh my gosh, you know, a child that's used to full days already in that structure to to kind of the whole family going through what is going on now? What are our schedules? What are our lives like? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I started out with childcare right away. Um, I was able to, uh, the, the change in the cost of living between here and there, I was not able to afford full-time at, at a daycare type situation. So we found um, a live-in nanny. Um, mm-hmm. The savings we had in providing her, um, we provided her cell phone. Uh, obviously, she lived with us uh, and a stipend for gas plus a little bit of salary. Um, and I was able to pay someone full-time to be a part of the family and watch my kids. And it was a, a big cost saver over putting them into daycare. Mm-hmm. So it was that out of the box type childcare situations that, that really made this happen. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. All right. So you somehow, and I would love for you to explain this, this portion of it too. So you work for this company for nine years, but at the same time, you're doing the military spouse things. You're volunteering mm-hmm. and you're helping out in different things. So tell us a little, a little bit about that, how you were doing that. And then tell us how you transition into the job that you have now. Absolutely. Um, so for the, long, for the first couple of years that we lived here, um, I, I was very much in a bubble. Um, mm-hmm. I had my children. Um, our live-in nanny truly became a member of the family. I still consider her like a little sister. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then I was still in touch with all of my family every day. You know, my mother and my sister and I were on the phone literally every day at that time. Um, So I was very much in my bubble. Um, I didn't join any of the FRG type things. I didn't meet other members of the military community because I didn't live on base. Um, I had a job, Mm -hmm. I had friends, um, and I didn't need it, (laughs) or so I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, So for for a little while, uh, I had a network, but it wasn't where I lived. And I didn't Mm -hmm. see that as a problem, and of course, until it was too late, I needed it. Um, So after that first initial couple of years, I had a military spouse. Her name is Rachel, Rachel Borman. She is fantastic. Um, She (laughs) literally clawed her way into my life, and I'm so glad she did. Um, Rachel was one of those that could kind of see what people needed before they knew they needed it um, as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember my husband got injured uh, on one of his tours, and, of course, you know, his injuries weren't that bad, considering, Mm -hmm. um, and he was able to call me right away. So by the time Rachel called me, you know, the day after, she's like, hey, I just want to check on you, see how you're doing. I remember dismissing her like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I talked to him. It's no big deal. Whatever. You know, don't call me again. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she was so fantastic that she, she still kept checking up on me like, you know, mm-hmm. you're busy. It's going to hit you, you know, one of these days. And she was absolutely right. Yeah. It was the day that I realized how, how bad it could have been. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I had that person to call. So uh, mm-hmm. through Rachel, I started volunteering for um, our FRG, at first just the finances, so I could once again, you know, be the person in the background with my spreadsheets and my numbers and not having to talk to people. Um, but once the hooks are in, the hooks are in. And I have found some of the most amazing men and women in my entire life through volunteering and through helping other families. Yeah, that's incredible. And so in that process, how did you... How did you get into the position that you're in now? Oh, sure. Um, so once I, you know, saw the writing on the wall that the, the position I was in, um, we're in the satellite TV business, which I'm sure you understand has gone through quite <laughs> a few major overhauls and has been shrinking. Um, so we saw that years ahead. We were, you know, making plans and changing the entire business to to match what was going on in the industry. But it was clear um, as the cutbacks started happening and that sort of thing that this wasn't going to be my forever career. Um, mm-hmm. at a certain point, the business just stopped growing and was stabilizing. So at that point, I would have these moments where I would be like, you know what, I need a new job. Um, for all these years, I'd been working from home and making great money for North Carolina and terrible money for the Pacific Northwest. But it was okay, <laughs> because I had that flexibility and what my family needed um, at that time. I mean, my husband was mm-hmm. constantly gone for the first mm-hmm. four or five years we were here. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I realized that, okay, this is coming to an end and, you know, either I have control of this and I jump to the new thing or I wait for this to completely end and, you know, try it from the unemployment perspective. So I'd march out there and I'd apply everywhere under the sun and I'd write a thousand cover letters and do everything that I could do, um, get absolutely nothing in response and just kind of, you know, come back into my bubble, tail tucked between my legs and, oh, well, I tried. Nobody wants to hire me. Uh, and for a <laughs> while I thought that it was, because of me, um, you know, that I wasn't competitive, that uh, I didn't have what other people had. Uh, a lot of my data analysis skills um, by title do not match what a data analyst is out here in Seattle. Uh, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. have SQL training because all of our stuff was internal. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that was the way I, I saw myself for a while. So I'd go out there, try, try, try come back and be sad for a bit. <laughs> and then, no, I really do need a job and go out there and try, try, try and nothing. 
Um, and it wasn't until a Hiring Our Heroes event called Amplify um, that, again, a friend of mine saw online and she sent it to me and she goes, hey, this made me think of you. And I was like, all right, I'm going to sign up, but this, this is a waste of my time. And I believe my quote was, I'm going to burn down the building. <laughs> so uh, I went, and of course, it was not a waste of time. It was the first time that I saw how um, how I was doing things from a completely different perspective than I should have been doing it. Um, and it was the first time that I saw just how important that network is and that you need mm-hmm. to be building it before you need it. Um, mm-hmm. So in all of my searching, I was doing the going to an online hiring portal, doing the cover letter and resume, and uploading it to the black hole that is hiring portals. Um, mm-hmm. But without knowing anybody outside of my bubble and with you know purposely being inside of my house, I wasn't building the professional network I needed to, to really job search. Sure. So with that new fire lit up under me, um, I remember coming home and telling my husband, okay, we both want me to have that next big job and I'm about to have to do some serious work and it might take me up to a year, but mm-hmm. here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and I volunteered um, at three different places that are well connected in the area mm-hmm. um, while working my other job, which had at this, by this point gone part time. Um, mm-hmm. And then I started going to everything. And one of my uh, volunteer jobs was with, was with Hiring Our Heroes. I was the um, co-lead on the MSPN chapter here at JBLM with Annika. She's fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and another military mm-hmm. spouse that's part of my journey. Um, and through that, two of those volunteer positions led to pay, paid positions. And mm-hmm. that one with HOH directly led me to my job now, uh, which you, of course, know you and I work together in support of Military <laughs> Spouse Technology Academy. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, so let me, let me ask you though, like in your volunteering, it really wasn't your intention to get into like the military spouse employment space, like as a job. It was, was it more like you were, you were volunteering in these organizations that dealt with military spouse employment issues, um, as a way to, to network and a way to build different skills. Like it wasn't like, you didn't have a, an idea in mind of this is the, the kind of job I want to have? No, not at all. Um, it was one <laughs> of those that for a long time, um, it, you know, I, I'm, the, I'm a pastor's kid from a small town. I grew mm-hmm. up in a family of service that, you know, see a need and help those people out. That's, you know, my, mm-hmm. my parents' entire philosophy in life. Um, yeah. And all this time on my volunteering, it was from seeing a need and, and you know, feeling that call to help that, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons that a lot of military spouses or more military spouses volunteer in their community than any other identified group is that we Mm -hmm. do have that same mission driven call to help. And we can see, you know, a a world and a pattern bigger than ourselves. So Mm -hmm. it was coming into this space just to network and get to know people and then seeing, Oh, we're all having some similar issues here. Yes. All of our journeys are different. Um, but we all have these same challenges to overcome and that sort of thing. And we start helping each other out. We start building those networks and the opportunities present themselves. And before you know it, mm-hmm. I'm passionate about military spouse employment issues. <laughs> yeah, I think that's funny. Huh? We always, we end up, I think it's because, at least for me, you know, um, I think I just keep thinking about how many people I've met along the way, how many stories I've heard, and how many times I have had to hear just utter 
anger or despair or anxiety or just, you know, this kind of unknowing among military spouses um, Mm -hmm. and how frustrating that is as a person who, you know, want, who sees all these amazingly talented people around her and is like, well, you shouldn't be feeling that way about yourself. You're amazing. You have all these gifts. You have all this education or experience or whatever. Like, why are you feeling this way? And I personally just got tired of it. You know, I, I mean, not tired of them, but tired of the fact that you know, there, there are people who are worth so much and yet for whatever reasons, and there are many reasons, um, you know, when you live the military lifestyle, sometimes you, you get lost in that and you get lost in, in not feeling like you, you matter or that you're being seen or any of those things, even though you're, you are so worth all of that and, and more, you know? Um, and I think it just ends up getting at you, whether you're conscious of it or not. I think we all end up sort of carrying those stories and, and things in our mind. And then suddenly, if you have the opportunity to serve in the, this community, um, it's like a really big gift. Um, and you certainly do it so well. And just, I mean, I, I can't think, I literally cannot think of any other human being that I know that is so good at just um, getting after the thing whatever the thing is, you know, in order to, in order to like meet the mission, like, okay, like we're going to get people employed. We're going to get military spouses seen. We're going to get them taken care of. Like that is you a hundred percent. And you just don't, you don't quit at it. And I, I love that about you. Um, okay, so I, I, I feel like you brought up a, a great point though, too, is that we've yeah. all hit that moment of sometimes mm-hmm. it's looking at the people around us like, Oh my God, they're so talented. Sometimes it's ourselves when we hit that, that bitter phase of I've done so much and I've worked so hard and why is this not working out for me? And I think it's important that we all give ourselves and others grace in those moments. Um, mm-hmm. As grateful as I am for his military service and what it's done for me and for our family, um, there's moments mm-hmm. that you can't see the big picture because you've just gotten that eighth rejection for a job that you're so well qualified for. Um, right. you know, and I think we, we need to own those moments but recognize them mm-hmm. as moments. Um, that we can yeah. work together and, and solve for. Absolutely. I think that's awesome. So uh, I would love for you to share um, some success stories um, with regard to your career. Cause obviously, you know, what you're doing now is a tremendous success story. And the fact that you had a, you know, you had a position for nine years and were able to maintain that through, through active duty service. That's a really great success story. But in your opinion and in your words, you know, what are some successes that you have had while you've tried to maintain your career during military life? Well, the the biggest success I have to say is, is our current line of work. Um, mm-hmm. This has been a big endeavor and it's taken a lot to get it off the ground. And I know we're still in pilot and it hasn't quite wrapped yet, um, but just getting it to here um, and seeing the, the stage that a company the size of Microsoft has in this space. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though I'm part, you know, we're all part of this team that did it. It's just so huge for me in my life. Um, It's the kind of program I wish had existed, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I was getting started as a military spouse. So to be a Mm -hmm. part of building this thing has been incredible. Yeah. Um, The second thing I'm most proud of is that during some of my what I'll call darkest times as a military spouse during some really rough deployments um, when, you know, I'm supporting my husband through some really um, difficult stuff that he was going through. 
uh, you know, have small children that don't quite understand what's going on. They just know dad's gone and they're sad. Um, and some, you know, the typical life drama that happens during every deployment. Um, still finding time to, to volunteer, to do things for myself, um, and to create programs in those difficult times. Um, those were those rays of light that I needed in those, those periods. Um, mm-hmm. And so some of those are still, even though they were small things at the time, they're still some of the things I'm most proud of. I was able to mm-hmm. launch a program at my kid's school that was the first STEM opportunity um, at any elementary school in the district. It was small, and only 40 kids took part in it. But, you know, I was That's able to. That's a lot of kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, but I was able to do that and be a part of that team that brought that, that to be. It was a robotics club. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And even though it doesn't, you know, <laughs> pales in comparison to some of my professional work and millions of dollars of budgets and that sort of thing, uh, it's still some of the stuff I'm most proud of because not only did I do that thing, I did it in the midst of some real personal hard times. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm proud of myself for that. One of the things I'm most proud of as well is a a time in my life that I can never see coming, uh, but I'm so glad that not only did I come through it, but I came through it a stronger person. Mm -hmm. So right before my husband's either fourth or fifth combat deployment, um, about three weeks before, I had just taken my job back uh, from North Carolina, so I was telecommuting from home only for a couple of days, uh, and I had a stroke. So I was only... Yeah, I was only 26, um, so it really was kind of a out of nowhere situation. Um, I'm lucky that my husband was home during it, um, and he took me yeah. to the hospital. Uh, and even though, you know, as far as strokes go, it wasn't a terrible stroke. You know, I was able to walk by the time I left the hospital a few days later. Um, so grateful for that. Uh, but he still had to go on mission. Um, this was not a you know, oh, well, this huge life-changing thing happened and now the military is going to accommodate. No, he still went to Afghanistan. Um, And during that year, uh, while he was gone, I ended up, you know, I had heart surgeries. I had other surgeries that came about after the stroke and all the things that go along with it. Uh, And you never think about how that looks in reverse. You know, we're so used to worrying about them while they're gone and us holding down the fort. Um, And, you know, I need to worry about you know, how to reach that light bulb that's 40 feet up in the atrium, <laughs> whereas, uh, you know, he has to worry about getting shot at or getting hurt. And um, we had never stopped to think about what that would look like in reverse if something were to happen to me. So being in a new place with no family, no mm-hmm. network, no friends yet, um, you know, getting to play that favorite game we all love so much. Nice to meet you. Can I put you as an emergency contact for the school? Um, (laughs) That was where I was at a time in my life when, you know, now I have a three-year-old and I can't even pick up a jug of milk. Um, Mm. You know, it was, it was a really, really difficult time, but uh, looking back on it and having been through that, there's very little that I can't make it through now. Um, And, and I attribute Mm -hmm. that as one of the factors, like you said, I, I am a driving force. I will admit that I, want to get mm-hmm. things done and very few things stop me. And it's because I know that mm-hmm. when worse comes to worse, we really can make it through anything. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the life, the lessons that military life has taught me. Um, yes, you need all of the people in your life, but you'd be surprised at what you can deal with yourself. Uh, and Jamie, I think you're mm-hmm. a great testament to that. I mean, you've got <laughs> what, like eight things on your plate right now <laughs> um, and you're doing all of I them and, <laughs> and doing all of them with excellence. <laughs> I don't know um, about that either, but I'm, I'm making it. 
making it work. That's what we do, right? Um, That's what we do. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's times that we, we assign ourselves goals and we surprise ourselves to, you know, to, to accomplish them in in new and creative ways. Mm -hmm. And then there's times that life just throws really unpredictable stuff at us. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's the strength of a military spouse. We we do a lot, um, and we do a lot with when we're given a little. Yep, I completely agree. And you are amazing for getting through all the things that you have gone through. Because I would I would call a stroke at twenty six something incredibly significant. And you know the fact that you just plow through. I mean, sometimes I like if I hadn't have known that you had an actual stroke in life, sometimes I, w- I probably would have said out loud, like, calm it down, Molly. <laughs> like, you, you might have a stroke. Because it's so hard. <laughs> and I, I won't say that because it's not funny. Like, you, it actually happened to you, but I do worry about you on that level because you are just such a hard charger in everything that you're doing. So, um, you know, I take it seriously. I'm glad that I have your medical information. <laughs> Well, it's a running joke in our house because I was folding laundry at the moment that it happened. So it's still a running joke. Oh like, I really hate laundry yeah. and I'll do anything yeah. to get out of it. It's banned. <laughs> not allowed. Molly, not allowed to do laundry anymore. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So um, what three pieces of advice would you give other military spouses who are looking to maintain this dual career household um, while you're in active duty life? Because that it, it does seem to be a feat. It's not an impossible feat, um, but it's certainly something that can be challenging for a lot of people. Well, I think the biggest piece of advice, I know we've hit on this a little bit earlier, uh, but it is to mm-hmm. give yourself grace, um, to, to mm-hmm. give yourself the kind of self-talk that you give to other people. There's no such thing as a wrong decision for us. Um, you do the mm-hmm. absolute best you can with the information at hand. Um, and there have been times that I've talked about, oh, I really re- regret doing that. But get another few years, the very same event I'm extremely grateful for. Um, mm-hmm. So just give yourself that grace to, to know that whatever decision you make, whether it's taking a job that's maybe underemployed for the moment because of the flexibility, mm-hmm. or if it's, okay, you know what? This tour, I just need to stay at home. Like this is what my family mm-hmm. needs. This is what I need. Um, you know, whatever that decision is, it's not going to be the wrong decision. You're, you're doing the best you mm-hmm. can with limited information. So give yourself that grace and don't hold yourself to impossible standards. Um, same thing with, you know, with the online life. There's people who share their life online and look like they've got it together all the time. And none mm-hmm. of us do. So um, mm-hmm. if you need to cry in the closet, cry in the closet. It's okay. Um, and, and the next <laughs> turn will be better, I promise. <laughs> uh, the next, uh, I, I have cried in the closet before. That's, that's a very real thing. Um, Mm -hmm. the next piece of advice I would give is to prioritize, um, a lot of the reactionary decisions that we make. Yes. There's some things that you're, you know, it feels like you're choosing the lesser of two evils. Um, Mm -hmm. but if you're doing what you need to keep your batteries charged, um, and, and giving yourself that time, no matter how small it may be, even if it's only five minutes a day, that's going to make all Mm -hmm. the difference in making those decisions and and feeling good about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and lastly, reach back, reach out to help others. If you get your foot in the door, throw that door open for other military spouses. Um, it's so mm-hmm. hard to make it into positions. Um, but if you're not willing to yeah. talk to people about, Hey, I'm a great employee, you should hire more of me. And I know them. 
Um, that's right. what's going to make a big difference in a lot of these workplaces, especially at smaller companies, um, where the, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you're a military spouse might not have ever entered into their mind at all, um, especially if you felt the need to hide that during the, the hiring uh, portion. But once you get into position mm-hmm. and, and you're showing yourself to be a great employee, let them know, hey, part of this is because of the flexibility that I've learned, the adaptability, um, my mm-hmm. my ability to network and get in good with people right away. Like there's other people like me and let's let's give them an opportunity to. Yeah, I think that's so great. And I think, you know, I think that's a really big thing. And it's certainly, you know, one of the many reasons I nominated you for Military Spouse of the Year. <laughs> because, you. you know, part of, I mean, there's no question. I mean, you're, you're, you're my hero 100% uh, on this. But the, the big thing and what really stands out for me with you is that you are such a it's not just that you're you're working in the space and you're you know and you're hard charging and you know you're doing for Molly. It's you're doing so much more. You're not just doing for Molly. Like everything you do, you know. I don't think that there's ever a day where I don't hear you say like, "Oh, well, this would be great for so and so," or you know, "Let me let me talk to so and so about this." Like you're always reaching, reaching out and reaching back and reaching up and everywhere you can to include people and to. Um, you know, and share what, what you have. And I think that that's such a huge thing um, because not everybody does that. Um, it's just not a thing for, for everybody. And to me, I think the kind of leaders that we need in the military spouse community in terms of other military spouses are ones that want to do for, for others and, and want to take everybody with them, you know, and you do that every single day. I mean, not just in the program, um, which is great, but I think you do that just naturally in your everyday life. So um, I'm so glad that you mentioned that as as one of your own pieces of advice because <laughs> you follow it 100%. Well, thank you, and I, I appreciate that. But part of that is out of the, the thankfulness as well of not forgetting who helped me at, at all these stages. Because, um, mm-hmm. like, I look back, like, when I told about going to Amplify, it was Leslie Thomas that sent me that email of, hey, I saw this and I thought mm-hmm. of you. And it was a, such a simple thing to do. And it changed the course of my career completely, mm-hmm. um, just sending out that email. Um, and both Leslie and I, I, when I was volunteering, I was volunteering for the unit. And she was working for the unit at the time. So she was, she'd already been helping military families for years. Um, but in the space of a year, both of our careers took a turn. I ended up here. She's now working um, for the Employment Readiness Office on base. Within a year, we're both in the military spouse employment space helping other spouses. And it just comes down to those connections and being grateful for the people who helped you along and and passing that along to the next person in line. All right. So what do you think employers could learn from your experiences as a military spouse working, um, continuing career? Um, And how do you think that employers could be more inclusive and innovative when it comes to hiring military spouses? Great question. I think first and foremost is just for companies in general to recognize what a huge talent pool this is Mm -hmm. Um, and absolutely worth any accommodations that that a military spouse asks for. And to be quite honest with you, I, I think one of the biggest learning points for employers is that the accommodations that we might and again, might ask for are no different than what you would do for any other employee. We're not asking, you know, to, to work from the moon, um, or to have these, you know, crazy, I can only work for three hours, you know, from 1am to 4am kind of situations. Uh, 
but that if you give us the chance um, to, to get past that black hole portal, what you've got is a loyal employee who's willing to flex and adapt to whatever your business needs are um, and will stay with you for as long as you'll let them. So some of that bias about, oh, you're only going to be here for two or three years. Um, the vast majority of employees are only going to be with you that long, regardless of where they live. Um, but if you give a military spouse a chance, they will stay with you um, for as long as they possibly can. And it is a worthwhile inven- uh, investment. Um, the second thing I would, I would say to employers is to look at your business model and see what need you have that can be filled here. Um, you know, larger companies have lots of retail positions and that's great. Smaller companies, um, can really, really, what's the word I'm looking for? Smaller companies can really benefit from an employee that can wear multiple hats like we can. Mm -hmm. Um, there's days that I change back and forth from, you know, accountant to, um, you know, the muscle forcing things to happen, uh, and everywhere in between. And so Mm -hmm. for smaller companies, military spouses really can be that flexible employee you need to do many of the different functions that that have to happen in a small business. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think that's really great. And I'm glad that you brought up small business too, because, um, you know, I think that that's another area where, where sometimes people have had concerns with military spouses and, you know, um, at least I think when I've watched different hearings regarding legislation for, for um, military spouse employment, that's a concern that's come up is what about the employers and the hardships that it might cause small business. And I absolutely understand, you know, what, what that's all about. I mean, having been a small business owner and being, you know, around a lot of small business owners, of course you get concerned, you know, you don't want to lose an employee, but at the same time, you know, a lot of the things people have talked about are, the fact that, you know, as a small business, you could hire anybody, a regular civilian, and they might leave you. Um, at least I think like if you hire a military spouse, they may have a timeline associated with their um, being with you, but it doesn't necessarily mean they want to leave you when that timeline is over. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, like you were saying earlier, they can't find you someone else who would be a suitable replacement if that's how it needs to work out. So um, I'm glad Absolutely. You small business too. Really good. And and there's a lot of great resources out there now for small businesses that, you know, just because you've never had a remote employee doesn't mean it's impossible. Um, There's a lot of help and resources to make that happen, um, you know, to to keep that going for any of your employees that you want to keep. Great. Well, I have loved talking to you and I sure hope that everybody goes on to the msoy.afi.com website and looks up Molly and votes for her. I am publishing this podcast a little bit early so that we can get Molly some votes because I absolutely want her to win her base award. Um, And I'm shamelessly saying this out loud because I nominated her. (laughs) So why shouldn't I say this? Um, But also I think it, you know, it just gives one extra day to really listen to all the goodness that comes out of your story because you are an amazing woman overall in your life and all the things that you've accomplished and things that you've done. And I'm just, I'm so blessed to be able to work with you every day. I'm so blessed to have the opportunity to just watch you in action <laughs> and not get in the way, hopefully. Oh, not at all. And, Couldn't do it without you. You know that. <laughs> and, you know, and to, to learn and grow with you because, you know, we have definitely been through an incredibly crazy and wonderful and rewarding learning process over the last several months, especially. So, um, you know, kudos to you for all that you're doing there and all that is to come. 
So thanks for, thanks. And thanks for being on the show. Anytime. Thank you so much. First, let me say I know the audio in that episode is weird. We had a few strange issues with our sound, so I appreciate you going through that with us. I would have re-recorded it, but I wanted to get Molly's story out there as soon as I could. So please vote for Molly Parsons for Military Spouse of the Year at msoy.afi.org slash candidates slash M-O-L-L-I-E dash P-A-R-S-O-N-S. Base voting ends tomorrow at noon, Central Time, February 12th. Remember, I'm publishing a new episode of So I'm Becoming every Tuesday. The show is now available on nine different platforms, including Apple Podcasts. So make sure to check out SoUnBecoming.com to see which ones you can listen on. I'm now on Facebook and my Twitter handle is at UNB Podcast. So please let me know you're out there. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you join me next time on So Unbecoming. Bye for now.